The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome back to the Shaken and Stirred show. I'm Nigel Barker in a very, very rainy New York, and I'm with my great friend and co-host, Tom Astor. Tom, where are you right now, mate? In my kitchen. Well, been in my kitchen. In Oxfordshire. In are the you Cos- at home? I'm at home. I got home. Oh, my goodness. I've re- I thought you were out and about. I didn't realise. Last time I spoke to you, you were on by the seaside. I went to the seaside for a couple of nights for a couple of days just to try and, you know, get a bit of different, um, just to pull myself away from the monotony of um, of my surroundings. But I realised in the end that all I was doing was trying to run away from myself, which never worked. So I came home. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> You're right there, Tommy. Right where we wanted you to be. And I'm glad you made it back in time for the Shaken and Stirred show. We have an amazing... <laughs> guest an amazing guest this week super super cool uh someone who i've been trying to get for some time very happy we've actually um got her for this particular episode it's going to be very very cool in the meantime tom what are you drinking i'm drinking i said so earlier on this evening um i had dinner with some people who spent a bit of lockdown on my farm locked up in a college here and Unbeknownst to me, when they were here, they went off and produced. They went off and picked during the winter some some of my slow berries. And I had dinner with them tonight. I haven't seen them for a while, and they presented me this rather nice bottle of slow gin that they'd made with slows from my farm. So I thought it only appropriate to. Uh, it's not really a cocktail as such. I mean, you could put champagne in it and make it a slow gasm, I suppose. You could fizz it up a bit, but I'm just going to go with a straight, slow, slow gin. It's basically slow gin. So it's j- gin and slow, slows from my farm. Amazing. How fantastic. It looks absolutely yeah. divine. It's I love it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it looks amazing. So wait a second. Yeah. If you put champagne in slow gin, it's called but, a slow gasm? Yeah, yeah. It's a highly effective drink if you want to um, get pissed quickly. Oh, okay. I was going to say, if you wanted to have a slow orgasm, uh, that would be, a lot of people would use that actually to slow things down. I Um, imagine the last thing you're going to have when you drink too much of that. Anyway, yeah. There you go. Well, maybe that is is indeed why one has (laughs) a slow orgasm. (laughs) What are you trying? You've got a very complicated cocktail you're now about, so tell us I, all about I do actually have a very complicated cocktail. I was given a book, a rather beautiful book called The Art of the Japanese Cocktail. Look at that. Absolutely beautiful book, The Art of the Japanese Cocktail, full of unbelievable photographs of cocktails. And I kind of have been digging through this beautiful book and I came across one that I could have made, partly because I... I think I want to make all of them, but I don't have all the ingredients, which is part of the problem because there's a lot of Japanese ingredients. But I found one called the Far East Side, which uh, essentially is sake, which I was able to get a nice dry sake, two two ounces of dry sake with a quarter of an ounce of elderflower liqueur, which I also have, um, half ounce of tequila, and I uh, used some of my uh, Lost Sundays Blanco, um, and a quarter ounce of fresh lemon juice. And that was all just mashed around. And it's it's actually, it's an interesting drink. It was actually created um, by um, a, a bartender called Kenta Goto, who's a New, New York City uh, bartender who won American Bartender of the Year in 2011. And, um, uh, you know, it's done all kinds of great, great cocktails. And here it is. I haven't tried it yet. So cheers, mate. Uh, yeah, cheers. I I want to see you drink that before we do our podcast because that is lethal. Lethal. Cheers. Chin chin. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it is lethal, but it's a so such a combination of stuff. Woo! Okay, the elderflower. I've never had elderflower tequila, and then add sake. It's like it's gotta work. It's gotta work. It's gotta work. No brain. No brain. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Brain. Kicking in that wow, yeah, it's, it's interesting. What a lot of flavors! That's delicious. Booze news, booze news, not the nine o'clock news, folks, but booze news. Well, 
there's some interesting thing happened. There's been a lot of a lot of these stories of people being generous, leaving big tips at restaurants during the pandemic. People feeling sorry for restaurant and bartenders, restaurant staff and bartenders, and leaving sort of enormous, massive tips. Well, a mysterious customer took a seat at a bar at the Stumble Inn Bar and Grill in Londonderry, New Hampshire, uh, June 12th, and they ordered simply two chili dogs, a Coke, fried pickles, a pint of seasonal Sam Adams, and they even got themselves a shot of Patron Silver. Guys, if you're going to drink tequila, I could think of some other ones. But anyway, the tab came to a glorious $37.93. And the man left a $16,000 tip. $16,000 on a 37. Now, the owner of the, of the actual restaurant said, there must be a mistake. Something's going, something's, you made a mistake, sir. And the guy turned around and said, no, actually, I'm giving $16,000 because I believe in your staff of your restaurant. You know, and I, they, they, you know, they should, you know, here's, here's a, a, a rather generous tip to give back. Now, the owner, um, a Mr. Zarello, who had originally thought this was a typo, decided to split the bill between the 12 members of staff that worked there. And this worked out at around 1,333 bucks a pop. Now, you'd think that would be fair. There's a bunch of people, when they published, they talked about this on social media, they went on Instagram and they went on Twitter and they, they said that they'd done this. And there was a lot of backlash from people saying that, that although, yeah, I guess dividing it up might be fair, surely the, the, his server who got the tip should have got the whole thing, the whole sixteen thousand yeah. dollars. What do you think, Tom? The, the bartender, yeah. that the server should have got sixteen grand, or split it evenly between everyone in the restaurant. The server, you tip the server, right? And then the server, if the server then wants to get generous and go, oh, I feel a little bit like this is like I've done quite well today. I'm going to share my tips and do it. But I mean, how often does that happen? You know, no, the server should have got it. There you go, people. And 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 I to, to to add a little bit of like you know a little just a bit of je ne sais quoi. The other servers there should have patted him on the back or her on the back, given her or him a hug, and said how happy they were for them to have received such a great tip. And wow, maybe one day the same thing would happen to them. That is what I would have expected. Blues news, people, and there you hear it from the Aster. Yeah, well, I think I do feel also, though, that my response might be quite appropriate with, with, with tonight's guest. It's a question that you should ask tonight's guest, because I think you may get a similar response to the one I gave, or it may not. I don't know. We will find out. Our guest today has a doctorate in clinical psychology specializing in the integration of Western psychology and Eastern philosophy. She's an expert in family dynamics and personal development. She's written five books, three of which are New York Times bestsellers, including her two landmark books, The Conscious Parent, which I have, and The Awakened Family. Oprah has endorsed her work as revolutionary and life-changing with her new book, Radical Awakening, out now and next to her, as I can see it as I'm looking at her. Please welcome the wonderful Dr. Shafali. How are you? Good. I'm so happy to be here. I'm very intrigued by your show and I couldn't be more happy to be a part of it. Well, you're, you're absolutely so sweet. Well, we actually got connected um, by Deborah Lee Furness, uh, who we are big fans of. And, you know, Debs and I go back a little bit. I'm friends with Hugh, her husband. And, you know, when I, I was watching her personal Instagram and she just to her friends on her private account was touting how wonderful and amazing you are. And I immediately said, I, I, can you make the introduction? And here we are, which is wonderful. Dr. Shivali, what are you drinking? What is your drink of choice? <laughs> well, I'm a real lightweight drinker, I am ashamed to admit, but uh, I always only have either a Moscato or a Prosecco, so I'm having a Prosecco. And then to add to the sweetness, I put lemonade in it because I really like my alcohol sweet. So that's, <laughs> that, that's I love how, that. I, how I like it. We'll drink to that. Cheers. Cheers, 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 cheers. my dear. There you go. Boom. Um, Sweetness. So, 
sweet you know when it comes to obviously as a psychologist and we're, and we're, we're going to move on to everything else as well but i'm curious from a psychological standpoint alcohol obviously is a mind alterer uh, and puts people in a certain state do you have a certain an opinion on the the, cons the actual consumption of alcohol and, and it's uh you know whether it's okay in general i mean a lot of people who are in this world you know, who we've spoken to in the past do have some kind of sort of opinion on it well more than being a psychologist so as a therapist i mm -hmm. see alcohol being used and abused all the time as a number, a distractor, a suppressor. But then more than that, as a meditator, um, you know, I've had to really, because I've been meditating since I was 21, and I used to drink much, much more uh, unconsciously when I was in my 20s, I then grew to understand how clouded my mind became, inebriated, intoxicated. I wasn't conscious, I wasn't present. And that's the whole point of alcohol, right? So that you can get, you don't have to be present. And that's where you're uninhibited, you're more free, you're more. And so that begs the question, why do we need to get to that state of inebriation in order to be our most authentic self? So as I've grown older, I've actually walked away from it. Uh, challenging myself to stay present and to be my authentic, carefree, uninhibited self without a substance. It's not easy, but that's my challenge. Now, I knew you'd have a, a wonderful answer that would probably put us all to shame as well. Yeah. At the same time, all of a sudden, I'm looking at my cocktail going, you're, 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 you know, you're clouding my judgment. You're, I'm not radically awakened at this particular time. Nice, nice. I've got the opposite. I'm looking at the doctor and I'm thinking all that talk about in my 20s. You look like you're about 22. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure how seriously I can take your last comment. Right. You, you, while giving me a compliment, you disparage my opinion. But I like Cooping that. English. I like that. Challenge or disparage. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the backhanded compliment. Very, right. very good at that, for right. sure. He actually didn't like what I said, but he didn't know how to say it politely. So he's like, let me give her a compliment and then totally cut her. Okay, we know your, we know your strategy. No, 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 I wouldn't do that. I'm polite. Don't worry. I wouldn't, it wouldn't, of course not. The break, break them down and build them up strategy. We've seen that one a hundred times. <laughs> Dr. Shafali, I'd love to know. Look, I mean, we, I've, I've obviously listened to several interviews with you. I've followed you for some time. And, you know, obviously your interviews with Oprah are amazing. She's obviously a big fan of, of everything you do and say. I'd love to know about just your childhood, where you came from a little bit, a bit what gives you this, the background into all of this, because there's a lot of incredible wisdom that comes out of your books and, and, and everything that you say. But, you know, where did this, where did it for you, if you enlighten us a little bit on where you, it comes from, where it started? You know, I do, I do, it's a mystery to me too, but if you want to just a uh, brief chronology, I grew up in India. And very, at a very young age, did intuitively understand that I was being suppressed. And I intuitively understood that this patriarchy that was a very traditional and oppressive in India was killing me. I knew this by the age of 12. I was begging my father to you know, send me away, even though I had a perfectly amazing family and I grew up, quote unquote, in, in relative comfort. I just intuitively knew that my voice as a female was not being heard and I needed to get the hell away. However, being a protective father, he didn't let me go until I was 21. And when I left India, I knew I would never come back. Now, not to glamorize the West, but I, I just needed to be away from my oppressive traditional culture and find myself. And as soon as I landed in America, within the first six months, I enrolled myself in my first um, 10 day silent Vipassana meditation retreat and just exploded from there and began finding myself. And I was studying psychology and I did my master's and I did my PhD. I began teaching meditation. I began coaching people. And I just began understanding that uh, the human plight and the human uh, enigma was my was my great uh, fascination, and I've been on that path ever since. A radical awakening. You're you're 
latest book it's quite something and i you know you've spoken to me about it a little bit in the past just briefly but you know when you listen to what you we see what's written on the cover too you have turn pain into power embrace your truth live free the simple things to some extent they sound except when you really dig into them they're incredibly complicated and difficult for a lot of people for i mean just the the, the 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 last one the live free you know we live in america where people talk about freedom all the time i mean it's a sort of a, a mantra in america i mean i'm english originally but since i've been here you just hear people the land of the free you know and freedom of speech and you know everything's about free but actually we, we don't live free do we we are completely trapped uh, talk to us about what you what, you're, what you mean here and i'd love to know first of all what you mean but then we'll get into if if you're able to, to talk to us through about how one does become free, because I think we obviously can realize we're not, but how do you get yeah, that? Freedom is not an intellectual concept as it's made out to be, yeah. and it's certainly not just an empty lip service. So we are definitely not free. We are We are without much exception, except for those who have really been on the path of awakening, all the others have been mired and enslaved by conditioning. And whether we like it or not, we all grew up pretty unconsciously by unconscious parents in an unconscious culture. And we have created institutions that have further fortified this enslavement. And we don't want to look at that because we are tethered to these institutions. They are our belief systems. So, you know, the Buddha always said, that nirvana or liberation is the emptiness of beliefs, meaning the mm -hmm. divestment of beliefs, no beliefs. Because beliefs by, by their very nature are a tethering to an intellectual concept which, are, which is completely constructed by, by us. And we're not the most wise. Uh, so, uh, you know, but you can't say this to people because it's like telling the emperor he has no clothes. You know, we are in a bubble, we're in a matrix of absolute, to me, ludicrous belief systems, and we're, we're mired to them, and we believe they are our identity, and this is the cause of suffering. And until people are bold enough and daring enough to break free from this, we will not even touch what can be called authentic freedom. So in my first few books, Conscious Parenting and The Awakened Family, I didn't know I was about to set off a revolution in parenting, I was just talking such basic wisdom, like basic, basic pedestrian wisdom, wisdom. but it was so anti the traditional model of parenting that it was called revolutionary, you know, and that's really the tragedy. What, what I'm talking about is just very basic. It's just to follow the laws of nature and don't impose constructed belief systems without knowing that they're artificial, at least know that they're artificial. And, and people are afraid and they're com we're completely zombified and robotic in these ways that we're tethered, sheep to the slaughterhouse, I say, and we don't even know it. You talked about, I mean, you know, obviously just then you, we are talking about religion, organized religion, you know, you are coming from a country like India, which obviously has Buddhism and potentially Hinduism, depending where you are, Christianity and Muslim faith. And there's a lot of different religions going on there, but it, you know, Everywhere you go, you, you you find religion, and certainly the, the and almost the more politically high up in the political system you go, the more it's sort of it's 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 entrenched all the way through. So, in which case, what you're suggesting, you know, with, with these sort of ideas and beliefs, I mean, I actually one literally hundred percent agree with you, and I have always felt this way. To be honest, that that there are so many ludicrous sort of, I guess ideas, concepts uh, that we have created around religion to organize ourselves, to control people, to, 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 to sort of manage the population. And that's what in many respects religion was designed for in the first place. But we now live by it as if it is the sort of literally struck down by a God, like, we, like, like it says, like, like a lightning bolt roded on a piece of slate and therefore it's fact and we can't question it no matter what. And if you do, it's like, well, you have to have faith. Faith is blind. So therefore, so. And if, how... you, don't, if you don't, you're a heathen. But it's not just religion, you know, it's, it's all the institutions, education, the institution of wealth, success, uh, beauty, marriage, divorce, all of these institutions 
or mass control, right? Yeah. So I mean, okay. So then, what? What? So we know. So knowing that, I mean, you must have had an incredible amount of pushback too from people. I mean, this is not. This is. I mean, obviously, right? So that, although one like people like Oprah and various people and a lot of not, you know people with common sense, when you read what you what you've written, it makes sense. But then when you sort of sort of acknowledge it and sit back for a second, you kind of look out the window and think, well, how? Because I'm going to run up against the brick wall with anybody I say that, say things like this to or speak to about this. So how do people use this sort of this concept? And what, what's the next step for them to do to sort of go out and sort of practically awaken themselves or whatever, or, or ignore these constraints or get yeah. past that? Yeah, the beautiful thing about life is that uh, these institutions, these very adherences, these very strictures that we die for, they will make us suffer and they will bring us to our knees, either here or there or somewhere. The beautiful thing about life is that because these they're, they're, they're bubbles, you know, that we're holding on to. So eventually the cracks of life and time will burst these bubbles, whether you like it or not, and you will be on your knees. The therapists call that rock bottom. And I talk about it in my book, that rock bottom is a wonderful portal. It's the portal you're waiting for because it means that your false ways of living are crumbling. They will not last because they are bubbles. And um, so, so when that happens, you're given a portal. So to your question, how, sadly, you know, when I was 21, I went voluntarily to go seek wisdom. So few of us voluntarily seek wisdom, but that's very rare. Most of us are broken, shattered, you know, shaken and stirred and, and dumped in the gutter. And then maybe we'll say, is it something in my way of thinking? Is it something in me? Maybe if you're lucky, you get to that place and then you begin the reconstruction process, but there's a death. And that's what we're afraid of, right? We all want liberation, but we don't understand to liberate, we need to let go. You know, I always speak about growth. Growth is not an additive process in the spiritual journey. It's a subtractive process. So you have to die, you have to release, you have to let go, you have to untether, you have to deconstruct. So. You know, I ask people, what do you want? You want transformation, you want epiphany, you want change, you want liberation, but you want to cling to everything you were. So the two are completely against odds with each other. Can I, can I, can I take a bone here? I, when I was about 37, I went on what, a similar journey to, I would imagine what you did when you were 21. So I reached what I what you consider to be rock bottom and I realized that you know, there was had to be more to, to, to how I was feeling. And no, I was feeling, I was feeling awful. I was feeling really awful and really de sad, depressed, you know. And I had such, I was such a great, you know, and I, I kind of came from a, you know, I had a lot. I had been given a lot. I had a great life. And I had three great children and I just never felt so awful. So I went on a little journey to go and try and find out uh, why? Because I realized I couldn't do it on my own. I didn't know why I was feeling so so bad and so awful and sad and all the rest of it. And and over a period of about three or four years, I went on an amazing journey and and discovered uh, all sorts of things. Um, and which is which in turn, ten years later, is, is still you know. I was talking to my girlfriend today about synchronicity and enlightenment and unburdening yourself, and we were having discussions about I don't know we were we were doing also having discussions about all sorts of things, but it basically kind of enlightenment and and the you know opening yourself up. And during during the period when I when I went and got help, I went to see a, a, a woman called Dr. Jean Knox, who was a sort of senior. She was a Jungian psycho psychoanalyst and. You know, she's in her sixties. She she'd been, you know, she, she's she's well versed. She's written books on um, um, uh, um, on on psychology and self agency and all the rest of it. And and she was extraordinary. And I'd like to say that she saved my life, but she didn't because I was the one who went to her. Right, so she didn't. I mean, she just sat there and point, you know, and was incredibly instrumental in, in helping me. And one, I, did, I asked her one day, I said to her one day, what, I said, having studied the kind of human condition for so long, is there anything that still surprises you? And I've, and I've said this before to, to, to people. 
And it's an amazing amount of people who don't really understand her response. I said, is there anything that still surprises you about the human condition? She said, well, yeah. She said the fact that 98% of the population still live in a state of self-deception on a daily basis, right? Which is what you've just been referring to. Um, and she immediately, as soon as I hauled her up on it, I think at the time I was also saying, what do I need to do? And there was a sort of bit of an issue of, you know, maybe I need to socialize a bit more. I started castigating. I say, well, you just narrowed it down to 2%, you know. Um, you know, it was literally with that conversation. Um, how, how, you know, not, if, if that's the case, and I don't know if you agree or not, but if you're going to sit there with what you just described, the 98% of the population live in a state of self-deception on a daily basis. We're all living in the state of self-deception without even allowing ourselves to hit rock bottom, yeah? How, how, other than let's try and teach basic psychology in schools and make people more self-aware of who they are and what they stand for actually as human individuals, forget them, take them in the classroom and give people individuality, make them stand up for and feel, you know? Other than educating children, how else do you think and I know your, your books, obviously, some people may connect with your books, some people may just buy them and just read them and not get it, you know. Um, how, if there's going to be a sea change and, in, in, so that we, you know, we can educate people to enlightenment, you know, to, to, to the values of enlightenment and what it feels like to be enlightened and what it feels like to be free and not actually care what people think and actually not care what people say and understand that it's other people's problems, not your own, and, and be free. How, because it's a feeling I have, and it's a feeling I'd love to share. I'd love everyone to be in the same boat. It would, be, it would, make, it would make everything so much actually more fun and interesting. I think, how, how other than just teaching children, is that gonna, how, how is that gonna happen? How, how can that happen? Yeah, 2% yeah, is very generous of her. I say the 0.000001% of the 1%. Okay, so I, I don't know what she's talking about. But uh, she's obviously optimistic and didn't want to scare you and, and made you wanted you to feel you could still have a few friends. So people always go, but then how? Who will I be friends with? I go, I don't know, one good person? That's a lot. No, I know. It's a dismal p p painting that I, um, that I stroke in, in midair. But the point is this that it, it takes wisdom seekers and wisdom teachers, and there aren't many. So this is just something you have to accept as a, as, as a wisdom seeker and a teacher. I've learned to accept that the mainstream, the drive, the main, the main populace of the matrix will always go towards the unconscious. And it's sad. People are broken and people are living in false self. And to wake up takes tremendous gumption, courage, evolution. You have to already be at an evolved state to enter the state of evolution. So it's it's something I let go in my 20s because I also, like you, had angst and despair and impatience to, to change the world, you know, to show people, you know, Plato's allegory of the cave was my favorite allegory, you know. One went out of the cave to see where the shadows were formed. It was the sun. And he came back and said, come with me, my brothers and sisters. And no one left uh, the, the, the cage in the cave. And this is so here. And I had to let go and go through a mass extinction of my own delusion that I could change anybody. It is something that people have to come to. Now, having said that, yeah, we should be doing mass education in schools and teaching, but we can't because the education system is mired in delusion and the parenting institution is, is mired in delusion. And that's why I started my first few books with parents to show them how off course they were, how completely deluded to, to, to because it starts with the parent, to impinge upon the parent your own sense of lostness and your own incompletion and ask the kid to complete you. So I tried my best to do that. And, um, but it's very slow coming, very slow coming because it takes a certain willingness and a wantingness to be a seeker. Not everyone is a seeker. Most people are just consumers and robotic reactors. And that's just the level that, you know, everyone is not at the same level of consciousness to begin with. So you have to just accept that. And then the 0.000001% of the 1% that do it, 
you know, you can quote unquote hope I don't really use the word hope with any hope. <laughs> you can hope that there will be a tidal wave eventually, but we don't do, we don't, I don't do the work for that. I do the work just for this moment and whoever shows up in the moment. What happens? What happens if we don't do the work? Well, it, what, it is what we're seeing. It, it will be an extinction as we're seeing and we will destroy because we have no consciousness about where to stop. You know, because we're so imaginative and so creative and so intelligent, we're, we're just not very wise and there's no stop button and we're just destroying. The domination of the planet continues till we will, we have already taken over the land, the sea, the air, the outer space now. And we, we will destroy, we are on the path. We are already at the bottom of the other side of progress. And, uh, we're already there. We're, it's already in decimation. Dr. Shafali, are we too late? You can't say it with such a smile on your face either. You, you've got because, such a... because I accept. I just accept. You know, I'm sorry. That's my my uh, my meditative side to just accept wherever we are. Otherwise, you're going to go crazy. So you just accept that this is the major thrust of the unconsciousness. What to do? So you what what we what I how I wake up every day with great joy is to say, okay, while I'm here in this incarnate form, I am bloody not going to suffer the unconsciousness around me. And I'm certainly not going to add to it. So how can I alleviate it? And I do my little literal 10 cents. It's not even a dollar's worth of anything, but I do it with great purpose and passion and, and optimism. And I refuse to, to waste my present moment. And I refuse to be unequanimous because of other people's carnage of the earth. You know, there's carnage going on, carnage. And the earth has been re responding. The earth has been screaming. Our children scream back at us, but who's paying attention, right? So I do my part. I clamor, I yell, I scream. I wake up every day with re renewed optimism to be a, a wake up caller, but that's all I can do, you know? But I also see the great resistance, you know? Without a doubt, I mean the great, the great resistance is, I think, something we all experience on on a constant level. I mean, I, you know, obviously, have, I've got two kids of my own, and I, 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 when I look at what the the earth that they're inheriting, I, you also wonder if they're even going to inherit it. You know, at this point, you know, there's the, the clock that seems to be ticking is ticking ever faster. Um, and it sounds like okay, you're a total doomsday at this point. You're oh come on, and you know and I grew up actually with my father literally on a daily basis telling me that the world was coming to an end. You know that, that it would be sort of over any and it was all written in the Bible too. FYI, like look at all the, the you know the end of days and right. you know all the the plagues and the, right. the heat waves and the right. pro, all the will continue though. I mean the beautiful thing is that we will just have an unsustainable existence, but. The earth will continue. I mean, that's just, it's its continued before us. It'll continue, at, you know, it just, we may not be able to sustain in this moment, which is good. It's okay. So now we die, nothing wrong with us dying. We're not that special. And then the next version of whoever, whatever, and however will come to be, you know, energy will continually mutate and transform. It's just, it will be unsustainable for us. And that's a jolly good lesson because we've really done this to ourselves. So, you know, we can't really cry. Uh, and and yeah, we should be utterly, utterly guilty and ashamed of what we're leaving to our children. Like, bye, see, I'm dying soon. But what what are we leaving for them? But this is just the way it is. I mean, you know, this, this is the unconsciousness that is the human mind. The human mind is a dangerous mind. It's a deluded mind. And your, your therapist said the right word. I say it all the mm. time. It's yeah. the delusion. It's the deluded mind that believes in false belief systems. I mean, people really think going to the moon is the right thing to do. I mean, really, I mean, maybe you do too. So I don't, I, I'm sorry if I'm opposing you, but it, it is utterly delusional to go to the moon when we can't even survive here. And now we're going to go and destroy the ecosystem somewhere else. And this is what we've done. We started with the earth and we went to the oceans and we went to the skies. Now we're going intergalactic and we're destroying everywhere we go. Other species don't destroy, we destroy. And yet we exalt ourselves because we, we are deluded. We, are, we, are, we have narcissism and delusion to believe that we're special, but we're not. We're utterly destructive creatures. We're creative, but we're also utterly destructive. Do you, I mean, can I, sort can, of can I ask, go ahead. Sorry, sorry can I ask a question on, um, literally as a question as in, I, I, 
uh, you know, seeking an answer on this one. The, um, the, the concept, well, the reality, the, the idea of synchronicity and enlightenment, right? They're two things that are they two things that that, that that exist that exist and coexist in your life at the moment. Well, I don't know what you mean by either, so I, I won't just say. Yeah. Synchronicity, as in what were people call you know synchronicity, as in um, uh, you know pe people might call it coincidence. So the more you open your mind to things, the more you are, and I, I don't know if this happens in meditation, but the more you open your mind. Um, the more uh, concepts and ideas flood in, and then the more seeming coincidences happen. If you've not heard of synchronicity, which is yeah, I, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I'm a little careful, <laughs> careful in these words because yeah. people, you know, then attribute lots of things to synchronicity. Yeah. Well, no, I, synchronicity, no, but I mean, uh, the way that I suppose the way Vedanta said it, on the way to what I was going to ask you is what is is how um, the concept of synchronicity. As uh, as written about by someone like Vedanta, in, within with the concept of enlightenment, how do you how do you see the how do the two things? I mean, I've got my sort of very much kind of like amateur way of of, of figuring out what I think it means, but I'm kind of interested to know to know if it's something that 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 is that is something that you think about or that's kind of like part of that is in your life or forms part of your day or something. You know? Okay, so enlightenment is is on a continuum and it's never going to be reached by any mortal right now. So it's it's yeah. a utopic. So what, what I would rather call in its place is the extinction of false beliefs, right? So in a practical way, what is enlightenment is when your mind is untethered to false beliefs. You're free of false beliefs. Your mind has space and is, is connected to the interconnectedness of all. That's what I call. Right. And then synchronicity, I don't use the word synchronicity uh, because, you know, you can attribute any. So if you're if you're thinking of, uh, a, a, you know, a rose and then your friend whose name is Rose calls you, you're like, wow, I'm amazing. I just manifested that. So I don't you know, uh, people tend to attribute things out of their desire right. to be special, right? Ultimately, we're all looking for control, which is why religions did what they did, you know, to have some control over the uncontrollable universe. But what I prefer to use instead of synchronicity is just alignment. So when you are very clear from within you, your outer life uh, dissolves in terms of extraneous bullshit. You just cut away the bullshit. And your right. external life aligns with your internal life. So. You're just you're just flowing, you know. You 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 don't have extra bullshit because of your desire for validity or worth from the external world. So there's, you know, I don't know about synchronicity if my life is more synchronous, but it's definitely more aligned. And you know, quote unquote answers that I need come from within me with a clarion. Uh, clarity so that's that's what you want you don't want no. your answer to come from the red robin or the goblin don't wait for the goblin you know <laughs> there's no there's no woo woo person out there who's going to send you the answer and and woo woo spirituality kind of lends to that kind of uh you know luck and charm and and people then become tethered waiting for their answer on the radio that's false hope it's just it's total another delusion it's another belief system so i just i the answers are within us and guess what there is no right answer at the end of the day anyway so it's just what it is in the moment with the consciousness you have right now and and you're going to die anyway so if you have that perspective at all times life is 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 buoyant it's joyous and you're not attached you're just like, okay, you don't take yourself too seriously, you know? You, you just, you're just here, fully here and present. There's no blame, there's no resentment, there's no past, there's no future. Because you're just like, I'm here right now and you don't take anything too seriously. So all these form-based things of, of wealth and success and competition and the medal and the trophy, you know, you, you're sure you can, you can collect them, but you laugh too, you laugh at them too because you know that they're just empty of real meaning. They don't have real meaning. This, uh, obviously, this competitive right. nature that you speak of, I mean, is something that's instilled in every child pretty much across the, around the world, no matter what culture, what where you come from. There are very few places where there's, you know, obviously there are some schools 
that sort of don't have competitive sports or, or, or are very careful about not, you know, and they're, you know, they're con considered progressive, but then often also laughed at by society or, you know, the, even the parents who send their children to those yeah. progressive schools will then say, oh, but come on, let's yeah. be honest, the real world isn't like that. So we, yeah. we should really be teaching them a different way, a different style. And, and it's, so it's, it's, it's completely contradicted. Now, I wanted to talk to you about this, this concept that you have, that be the love you need. This, this idea of you know, loving oneself and that you, know, that you have to have compassion for you, yourself first and, and, and that that's where it starts. I mean I, I mean, I think at that part, a lot of people understand, but be the love you need is something more specific that I think it gets to the point. Could you explain that a little bit better, what that means? Yeah. So, so we develop this false self, the ego, that then craves love and worth in all sorts of inauthentic ways, and we keep betraying ourselves. I haven't met a human who hasn't uh, an ego to uh, forage for love and worth in all sorts of manipulative ways. And not a human who is authentic. We've had to go back to our authentic self, but they always come to me uh, full of masks, full of personas that we developed in childhood. So be the love you need to use a cliche, yes, <clears throat> is something that we, we abandoned a long time ago because we were the love we wanted. We thought we were amazing. We thought we were good enough, but we were told by culture and our unconscious empty parents or, or relatively empty parents that, hey, we needed to serve them. We needed to meet their expectations. We needed to check off their boxes. And because of that, we began to create these false selves. So now the spiritual path, the real warrior goes back to who am I really? Who am I without these masks? Who am I without needing the role, you know, I, I, I am not, so for, for example, I'm a mother, but I had to really work on not using my child for my identity. I had to, that was a lot of the work I did and I wrote books about it, that we cannot use our children to give us a sense of worth. We cannot use our partners to give us a sense of worth. We have to really enter a deep communion within ourselves, which means to go and heal ourselves from the childhood bullshit that we inherited and to really claim ourselves again and to be authentic. And uh, that is the spiritual path, you know? And when you really enter and tap into that, that deep communion with yourself and a deep celebration of who it is you are with all, all your follies and all your weaknesses, you, you, there is no such thing as a perfect, perfectly whole person. You then uh, actually untether from the others in, uh, in terms of wanting them to fill you up. So now we don't use relationships transactionally. Now we have the potential to enter oneness relationships with others, transcendent love with others. Most of us, for the most part, because we're empty and hungry inside, are entering transactional relationships with others, which is why divorce is a bitch, right? You love the person and all of a sudden you can't stand the person. Why? Because it was never true freaking love. It wasn't. It was conditional. It was transactional because you were seeking something from the other. And when the other stopped giving it or something happened in the relationship, you cut, you, that's it. You don't need them anymore because you wanted them for a function within yourself that you didn't give yourself. And that's why we get angry with our children when they don't follow our ways. That's why we get angry, angry with our friends. Certainly that's why we have torrid divorces. You know, we don't need to have torrid divorces if there was true unconditional love, right? But it's not that complicated also to say that, you know, all children need is unconditional love and boundaries. That's it, right? Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, you don't even have to say boundaries be, because right, love comes with boundaries. Yeah, go ahead. You yeah. don't need to write books about it. That Literally, that children need unconditional love and boundaries. Maybe you need to write books about, you know, self-help books about how to, how to give your children unconditional love. I don't know. But that's yeah. what my books are about. My, my, my book, The Conscious Parent, was the first book that talked about how parents are conditional and parents did not like that. That was the yeah. big pushback I got because I yeah. exposed to parents that the only reason you had children was to, to uh, mitigate your big fat ego. And they were yeah. like, no. I, I said, I, and I said, there's a biological imperative to have children for sure, yeah. but not to create these puppets and trophies that we are doing. That's Oh, well, it's exactly it's te teaching people, teaching parents how to how to give unconditional love to uh, and, and boundaries. I mean, it's actually weirdly 
makes parenting a hell of a lot easier if you if you're armed with those two those two concepts. I wasn't. I, yeah. Go I ahead. wasn't. I wasn't. When I had kids, I mean, I'm not old. I'm mine, you know, twenty and nineteen and twelve. And I'm certainly when when I had kids, I, I certainly didn't. Well, I, I I definitely wasn't aware of the concept of unconditional love and boundaries. I mean, because it make now to me it makes so much sense and it's so obvious. Because you weren't in that state of unconditional love and boundaries with yourself. No, absolutely not. Or with anyone else. You know, it was all transactional. Everything was transactional. It was all the hell of a mess. You know, but I mean, as you say, you only get to that point where if you you know, if you're lucky, I suppose. Well, when, when you work on yourself and you heal yourself, then you do, then you don't need your kid to be anything for you, yeah. right? Yeah. But we're only having children so we can show off on Facebook and we can send them to a prestigious college so that we feel good about ourselves. And that's what my work exposes to parents is what, you know, if you're doing it all for yourself, you're going to create another rendition of yourself and your child is going to grow up as one more generation of emptiness and inauthenticity. So that's how mm -hmm. generational pain gets continued. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I've heard people talk about having children as their own immortality. Right. That, right. You know, that if you think that you, you know, do gods exist and, you know, what is makes a god is out there immortal. And the fact that if the closest we get to being godly is by having children and being immortal, living on through our children. And it's it, when I hear that, I think of that. I've heard it said more than once in different ways. I've heard it said that clearly before, but I've also when I hear what you've just said and what you're saying, I mean, it makes complete sense. But this is a it's such a monumental problem, Doctor Shivali, that I, I you know you again it mind boggles because you're what 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 what's so hard is to love unconditionally with the fact with the thought of feeling completely hopeless with the fact that there isn't a solution because we're far, we're too far gone in which case can i stop the earth and get off now i mean what well, that's what that's what happens right so you 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 fear that that would that might be your reaction you know yeah yeah but but you first have wisdom to understand that the human mind is really quite immature now people are going to so not be happy with this podcast just watch because the human mind wants to think it's the best of the best the most evolved species ever ever born but i don't see any other species destroying the earth in literally 35 years in the past 35 years as we have I mean, we are our insatiable ego, our demented way of looking at the world because we want to dominate the world is a sickness. We don't live in interdependent community like other animal species who live in their pods and their tribes and uh, in their little clan. You know, we've gone way out of our lane, way out of our lane, out of a great grand delusion of utter narcissistic arrogance, you know, and it is deadly. We saw it in our president lately. I mean, and, but we have a lot of those around, a lot of his clones around. And it is extremely dangerous to the planet and to, to women, to children and to other men. And, but this is, this is where we're going. And we think that should be ossified and pedestalized and, and deified, you know? And, and it's just the opposite. It should be blasphemized and ridiculed and taken off the pedestal right now. But we don't have wisdom. We have only smarts and money and, and competition and greed. We don't have enough wisdom in the world, you know, and, and wisdom is, is thwarted. You know, my books, I'm sorry to say, are wise books, but they will not, they're not popular books, right? They attack, attack the status quo. And that's why I'm like scrambling to, to get my word out there because I know that wisdom is the only way forward. But people want to be entertained, they want to make money, they want to look sexy, and they want to get younger. It's all of the ego. And the only way out of this delusion is the, the, the mind of the wise, which says, let go of your ego. The only way to return to sanity is to stop production, stop proliferation, stop pregnancy. Like for a while, we got to stop. We got to stop for the sake of the earth. And we got to heal the earth. We got to heal our children and the earth. And what that means is we grown-ups need to get our shit together like now. Now, already yesterday, you know. But until we truly love, to, to love unconditionally would mean that we own our delusion to stop our insatiable greed, to end production, end consumption, that's it. And take care of what's sick and ailing right now on earth. 
there is so much sick and ailing right now on earth. You know, I could not have, I, I have one daughter. And when I realized I couldn't have more children, um, I was faced with my insatiable ego, which said, oh, you're such an amazing parent. What, you're going to stop at one, right? Things like that, right? Or how could I not give my child a sibling? You know, all the bullshit that culture has taught us. And I, I looked at myself really squarely and I told myself, you dare go and have a child now. You have one, don't be greedy, done. Now, I'm not going to uh, blasphemize those who choose other ways, but I, I'm just speaking to the resistance we have to accept our limitations. Enough is enough. When is enough enough, right? When is enough enough? And there's no enough button on this earth right now. I mean, we're just going more and more out of control in every area. But, um, if, you say, but if you say, you know, okay, so we have to love the planet more. We have to love our children unconditionally more. We have to love, basically, unless you love yourself, in the first instance, and you're in a, in a state where you're content and happy and balanced and not <clears throat> not yearning and not just you know not looking and seeking and all the rest. Unless you love yourself, then you can't love others. You can't love another. Therefore, so if we're in a state right now, which we are, and, I, and I'm with you on this, in a state where people don't. People kind of love themselves, but the definition of loving themselves is in the ego and is in the is in whatever the trappings, the money, the product, whatever. But actually, genuine, deep down, love, self-love, right, which is so lacking in so many people, and it's just so lacking everywhere. How, how you know, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make it drink. I mean, where do you even begin to? <laughs> To, to, to start to, to try and, you know what I'm talking about. I get 99.9% .9 of people listening to this podcast won't have a clue what I'm trying to say. I know because they're asleep. So that's why I said when they, when they, when they hit rock bottom, we have a chance that the, the ego will shatter enough to go, okay, I need to find out who I am. The only goal in this life, if there's a goal, the only, uh, there's no goal really to life. The only goal is to just be here right now. But say we had a goal. The only goal is to learn how to be here fully present and, and be in one with oneness with yourself and each other. And we're completely missing this goal for calculus and stock markets and, and rocket science, which, is, which are wonderful hobbies to have. But we've missed the whole, the, the, the forest for the trees, the real goal is, is self-reclamation, is self-oneness, because through self-oneness, we will be one with each other. The reason we are not one with each other and we're waging wars in the name of God and in the name of money and in the name of whatever race is because we're severed from our own damn heart. So all the work begins here, right here. It's very simple. That's why I said it's not, it's the most simple, most profound thing in the world, but we, no one is doing it. Because we're caught up in the false self of greed and craving. And that's why people need to wake up to the fact that wisdom is what is the missing antidote. It's wisdom. It's not more science, it's wisdom. And what, people don't have wisdom. What questions, what questions can people, should people be asking themselves? I mean, as far as you know, going on this quest to sort of, I guess, love oneself, find oneself, it, are there certain yeah. things that we should be literally stopping and asking ourselves on a daily yes. basis as far as setting ourselves, what, what, what are they? Well, I ask myself two fundamental questions as I move through my day. So the two fundamental questions I ask is number one, is this choice I'm making coming from lack, spiritual impoverishment or abundance, number one. And 99% of my choices are coming from lack based in ego, based on what culture has told me, what I should be doing, what I need to be better at, all from my egoic self wanting love and worth. So I first check in. And the next thing I ask is, am I, which time zone am I living in? Am I living in the past and the future, which is where most of us live? Or am I right here right now? And when I come back to, okay, I'm freaking in the future, all my anxiety, all our anxiety comes from the future. Because right here, right now, you're just going to live right here, right now. So then I come back to the present moment. And, and that's why I meditate. My medication is meditation. And I'm 
coming back to center all every damn hour by the hour. And that's why I fully am here more and more each day as I evolve. Evolution to me is only one thing. Are you fully here? Are you here right now? And when you're here right now, you have to be one with yourself because you can't be an ego. Ego is not is against presence. Presence and ego don't go together. So when you're in presence, you are without ego, meaning without an agenda, without the should, without the future, without the lack, without the uh, imposition of cultural beliefs. You're just here right now. And you're meeting everybody with a, I'm here right now, hello, like a beginner's mind. And that is the most beautiful way to live. It's so simple, but no one can do it because when we are completely abducted now by distractions, by, uh, by drugs. That's what yeah. I'm saying. And, and climbing ladders that go nowhere, you know, a conveyor belt that just keeps going around. It's a cat chasing its tail. And no one can see it till the bubble is burst in your life. And when the bubble is burst, you wake up and you go, what the hell am I running after? What are we running after? Right? The woman is relentlessly seeking beauty. The, for example, the man is relentlessly seeking power. There is no pit, there is no end to this. And you're missing the present moment. Right? That's why children are so amazing. The only reason I tell people to have children, I mean, if they're going to have children, is use those first six years to enter your presence. But we don't use it. We miss it because we're running back to the gym and we're running back to work. And we're, children can bring, like animals, can bring us back to the present moment. But we're not even, quote unquote, using them for that. What a waste of having the damn child. Now that we've just brought more children into the world and more unhappiness, you know, we missed the whole point of, ch of childhood, which is what I talk about in The Conscious Parent, that if you're not going to use this as a spiritual epiphany, freaking don't have another child. The earth doesn't need your, your, your child is not going to save the earth. Okay, don't think your child is saving the earth. Because we have that delusion that oh, I'm going to raise an amazing child. We have yet to see the next Buddha. Where is the next Buddha, right? Yeah. So I'm with you. We're, we're just dealing I'm with you. I'm completely with you. <laughs> Nodding. I'm just going to nod. I agree with everything you're saying. So, Dr. Shafali, not we're not going to have any more kids. Okay, that's 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 a that's a. We, Hallelujah. We, we agree with you on that one. But I mean, clearly, look, the world at large. I mean, it, it seems like it doesn't matter what culture, where, and what you know, country, what culture, you know, people everywhere and it seems almost the poorer the country the more kids they have um you know i don't know like that that seems to be such a massive issue for us is the overpopulation that we are you know we, we can't sustain we can't even feed ourselves exactly. you know i just you know i'm again i don't know i'm always hopeful that we have that there's some solution that we can save ourselves but if we have we gone too far i mean is this well i think i think if enough wisdom minds got together this would be my if you ask me okay if you had all the money in the world what would you do right yeah. how would you save the earth i would say that i would create the the a wise council of the wisest okay which is only like 10 people on earth but those wise people get to decide and we, we, sad, sad to say, we create regulations for, for the earth to start breathing. So sorry, couple generations, not too many children. We go, we have to stop this. We are overpopulated. We cannot sustain. We stop the killing of the seas. We stop the killing of the rainforest. We need a wise council to tell big companies, no, no, sorry, no, we cannot. And, and the world and the, the world's economies and the world's corporations have to answer to the wise council. But we need a wise council that overrides the economic forums and uh, because the economic forums are after economies and after money. And as long as it's money-based, we will keep destroying the earth. And everything right now is money-based. Wisdom-based overlooks money. And it then looks for equity. It looks for justice. It looks for those who are the underdogs. That's where wisdom looks at, what wisdom looks at. But right now, our entire world is run by money, money and power. So until money and power is superseded by wisdom, we, will we, are, we are going to continue to destroy. So if you gave me all the money in the world, I would create the wise council that overlooks all government agencies and we, we answer to wisdom, to the wise elders. 
You know, that's who gets to decide how many more children the world can have, how many more companies, no more iPhones, right? No more this, no more versions of TV, no more new versions of anything. We live with what we have and we stop extra production. And then we go, then we start, you know, the, the decrease of the disruption and the decrease of the death. We slow it down at least, you know, we all go vegetarian for a long time. We, for, for you know, every Monday, everybody's vegetarian. You know, we create simple, but feasible policies, which are so sensible. It's just clear what we need to do, but Wait. we need a, we need one, one force telling the whole world what but to do. But that's like saying that you're gonna get a wise council that's gonna teach the horse to drink. You know, you can lead it to water, but you can't make it drink. Why not start? Why not start? Why not start with the individual? As I was saying earlier, like I'm amazed at the very basics of psychology and the very basics of like self um, self awareness, and you know. Yeah, uh, but the wise uh, council, uh, the wise council will tell the schools that for four hours a day you will teach psychology and health and social emotional learning and meditation. You see, we need somebody to institute this globally, right? Mm -hmm. You saw what happened with just the masks, the wearing masks. America, America couldn't even agree which, um, you know, where we can wear masks as a universal global whole. We couldn't agree on anything. So until we, we create a tidal wave, right, where it's ubiquitous, we're not, you asked me where, how are we going to do this? Only that, and I know it's not going to happen. So we're just talking, you know, over a glass of- oh, there, If you were to create this this wise council, which I, you know, I can see it almost seems a little like Star Wars or something like the, the Jedi Knights getting around with the smart wise council type of scenario. But a lot of sci-fi ideas and concepts you see in these books, sometimes there is a lot of- They're true. Truth in the, them. The Matrix, they're based on metaphors that yep. have been that are ancient and they stand the test of time. They do. You know, but we're losing that now because we're losing it because we now covet and worship money and greed. We worship money and greed. So as long as we're we're worshiping that God, forget it. Who would be on your wise council? Uh, the spiritual masters, you know, and then we you have any hire... names? Are there any? Are there any I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have many, but I'm going to produce them. No, I would. I would have Eckhart, Eckhart Tolle, and I would have Byron Katie, and I would have you, and I would have, um, you know, beautiful souls that understand oneness. You know, that understand that life is not about greed and corruption and domination. There are enough beautiful minds but we have to get them together as one. So what I see in my world and I get frustrated by, and maybe I'm part of it, I don't know, is that even in just my world, the, the, the cool psychologist world, we're not getting together. Like we should not, we should be one, we should be together, you know, and that's what you're creating on your other forum. Yeah. We, we need a platform where our voices are in unison so that I'm not just Dr. Shafali, you know, speaking about what I care about. No, we all care about the same thing. And we need to let go of our individual egos and come together as, as one. But each one of us, and I'm sure I'm part of it, cares about, you know, my Instagram following and that one cares about his Instagram following. Well, then we're feeding into the same system of separation and domination, right? We need to come together, let go our individual identities and freaking save this planet. There you go. You heard it right there, Dr. Shafali. Doctor, before we let you go, we have something called Last Orders on the Shaken and Stirred show, which is pretty simple stuff. It's a bit of fun at the end. And I quite frankly, I was going to say, after all that, I think I need a drink, but maybe I shouldn't have one. I'm not stopping. I'm not going to, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to stay awake and present. Uh, awake and yourself. present. I'm no longer going to drown my sorrows. We're going to no longer call this the Shaken and Stirred show. We're going to have to rename it completely. Um, awake and alert. <laughs> awake, the Awaken Alert show. There you go, people, as of now. Um, first of all, favorite place in the world. Where's your happy place, Dr. Shafali? Where do you anywhere by the ocean, I can be happy. Yes. For me, I love, I'm an ocean person too. Uh, if you could swap places with anyone or anything for a day, who or what would it be? A bird. I would want to see the world from an aerial perspective and just the capacity to, the, the idea I have and I'm projecting onto the bird is that it's so lovely to fly, but maybe it's a pain in the neck, I don't know. 
That's so funny. You had that answer like that. That wasn't even, you didn't even have to think for a second. It was like, I'm a bird. I'm like, whoa, okay. Um, that's, that's really fun. So, you know, if anyone would, this is a complete, this seems like a ridiculous question for you, but it's something we ask everybody. In the, in the movie of your life, is there anybody you've ever thought of who would perhaps play you? No, I don't, I don't even know what you mean by like somebody who looks like me or so, somebody, <laughs> I don't know. Isn't that great? I'm a, weird, I'm a weird character. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, um, I don't know. Yourself. Yourself. Myself. Yes, myself. Yeah. You, you know, go. it's so funny. We've, ha we've asked this question to- And it stumps everybody? Everybody has an idea, loves a question, jumps on. I knew as soon as I read my, the question, I'm like- I was like- you would not know, want, or have it, or have anything to do with it. And it's great. It's almost like I'm like. So me, yeah. I'd be like, what a stupid question. Like, yeah, I it's a really stupid question. Also, what it does effectively, it was done as the question originally was formatted and thought up as a sort of. It was actually a kind of. It was rather. It's rather ironic because it's delivered in a sort of serious manner. A friend of mine came up with it when I was talking to them to basically expose the ego. Yeah, and that's why I'm like, I don't even think like I that. I know. Well, obviously, How dare you ask me that question? But now we're kind of busted if anyone actually listens to it. I know. We have to change the question as of Dr. <laughs> Shirley. She's changed the name. I changed last order. I'm like, I'm not going to answer that ego-based question, but you're not going to get me that way. No, the whole point was it was an ironic question that you're, the, you're thank God, finally somebody's come up with a sensible answer to it. Anyway, thanks. There you go. Sorry. There you go. Well, we, we were waiting till this moment to get rid of the question. Now that it's been answered correctly for the first time, we could be done with it. Thank you. Um, and then the, the, this is also kind of an interesting question, but it's uh, I think you've already kind of answered it. it. This is a question we ask a lot of people as well. So we have three questions we ask everyone. The first two which you've answered were just for you. This one is what gets your goat and what floats your boat? But I think we can, we kind of know now what gets your goat. What much. gets my goat? What What is it? Well, it seems like uh, greed and, you know, society and, and the, 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 the way we, ha I mean, just life itself, the way people handle themselves, this lack of love and self-love seems to clearly get your goat. Yeah, but I, I've learned to be Zen with it. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like, I, yeah, I'm cursing, like, what the hell is wrong with humanity? What is wrong? We are not smart. We're so dumb. How can people think we're smart? Yes. So if you catch me bitching, it'll be about those things. Yes. And what's the other one? What floats my boat? What floats your boat. Conver conversations like this, like connected conversations, awake conversations, awake people, awake minds, curious minds, people who are irreverent, who can see through the bubble, who can burst their bubble, who can talk honestly and transparently. You know, that's what wakes, that's, that's why I'm here, you know, to have conversations about the bullshit around us. And I, I want to be with people who can see through that. Amazing. Final question, simple enough. Shaken or stirred, Dr. Shafali? I think stirred. Uh, stirred gently and then, then to the point of breaking the whole glass. <laughs> Keep stirring till you break it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a shit, shit stirrer. I like to call myself a, a stirrer of, of shit, but I do it gently, lovingly, but I keep going at it every day. Wow, I know the feeling. <laughs> wow, where are we? What a surprise, what a charm, what, what, how amazing. Dr. Shafali, thank you so much. Thank uh, you, guys. Radical Awakening. You can buy it off Dr. Shafali's website, which is drshafali.com. And um, I, I highly recommend that, if nothing else. And, and, and that you have all kinds of other great books as well, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, in, including Conscious Parent, which I have, which is amazing, and The Awakened Family. Uh, thank you so much for all your brilliance. I, I do hope, I'm looking forward to speaking to you again soon and, and hopefully soon we can actually meet in person. You know, that would be the next thing, which I know we, yeah. we, we sort of can do now too, but it's um, it's been a little bit more complicated than we would like. Thanks I again. Surprise, when Nigel walks into the room, he's only five foot three. <laughs> I don't know how tall you are, but he's. He I'm, I'm, I'm not even five. I'm oh. so small. I oh. have Nigel on TV, so you can't stump me. Okay. You, you haven't seen me probably, but we, we, we will meet soon, and uh, I look forward to that day. Thank you for having yeah. me. Thank All you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken Instead. We will be back next week with a, another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.